Today on a classic Compassion Radio. Our negative emotions are a choice that we make. Now that almost sounds like victim blaming. So explain <laughs> me what you mean by choosing fear. Well, you see, I can choose to love. I can choose to hate. My negative emotions are mine, and I can choose to engage them. I engage them because of what I believe. I am belief and choice. I believe something, therefore I do something. Hello, friends, and thank you for tuning our way today. How's your prayer life doing these days? Focused? Joyful? Powerful? Scattered? Erratic? Non-existent, maybe? In the face of an ongoing pandemic and a new war, I don't think there's a thinking Christian who hasn't offered up at least a prayer or two. How could we not? If we're really all together in this time of trial, as so many say, then we're likewise unable to solve it by ourselves. It's a time for the best of humanity to rise to the surface, we hope. But it's all the more a time for prayer warriors to suit up for battle and for servants to serve. And I think it's fair to say that for many of us, just taking the battle seriously and deciding to join the fight is more than half that battle. Do you want to know that your prayers are effective and heard by God? A God who loves, cares, and responds? Well, stick with us for the next couple of days, and we'll put some new tools in your hands. They might just happen to make all the difference for you. Before we get going with this classic program, a personal note on today's guest. Dan Geroy has been a mentor to me and a dear personal friend. On Mother's Day 2022, he went home to be with Jesus after a very long battle with kidney disease. To the very end, he invested himself in the lives of leaders in the making, serving, coaching, and speaking in a way that built kingdom servants. He was also a marvelously effective spiritual counselor and helped countless people discover true freedom in Christ and from life-destroying bondage. I am beyond grateful for his investment in my life and thrilled for his new joy in the presence of his Savior. I invite your prayers for his wife, Anne. And now, to the interview. It's been said before that it is a curse to say things like, may you live in interesting times. It's intended to be kind of sarcastic. On Compassion Radio, we don't want to slide into a jaded way of thinking. We're about getting ourselves on a missional wavelength as God would have us. Seeing things the way He sees things so we can act and live, not just biblically, but in the Spirit, the living Spirit of God Himself, to live missionally from truth. And these days require that. On the program today with me, I have Dan Giroy of Mount Horeb Ministries. Welcome, sir, to Compassion Radio. Thank you. Appreciate being here. You've got about 20 years of experience in very direct ministry, helping people break through the kind of thinking that is counterproductive to what they say they believe about God and about what He can do in your life. And I can't think of a time in our recent history where it's been more important to know what the truth really is and to live in it than right now when the entire world seems to be in a kind of unease that's growing into a panic in a lot of ways about the economy, about the way our churches will be able to meet or not meet, what it means to even be in community, our family's going to survive, our kids going to go stir crazy. That's the world we're living in, we think, but it's not the world that we have to be in. And that's my point I want to get across today. We're looking for a better way. And you have some experience of working with people that have had some real crises of faith and of identity. So let's just start there. What is it, my friend, that makes someone truly whole and can live in truth? Very interesting question. Over the last 20 years, we've worked with hundreds of people who really struggle with uh, their identity, who they are, where they're going, and how to work through a crisis. Hmm. And today we're in crisis. 
Uh, every nation seems to have a different personality. Our nation seems to have this kind of disconnect between our sense of entitlement that we should always have opportunity and have no breaks on our ability to, to climb the economic and social ladders. And yet we feel like we're being hampered in so many ways or that we're under threats that we can't even define very well. That seems to be the kind of, as we would say, the zeitgeist of America in the 21st century. Is it the way you see it, the, the culture at large is acting? And is it any different than people that you've met that have interactions with and histories or relationships in other countries? Well, I work with missionaries and pastors from all over the world, and certainly the cultural differences that we see impact the way people respond to life situations. The coronavirus that we have in front of us today, this so-called pandemic, it's difficult to find groceries at the store or go to the mall or go to church. We have a lot of things that are closed. We can't go to the movies. We don't want to be in crowds uh, we have socially distanced ourselves to where we really are together alone, if that makes any sense. Yeah, we're not even together in being alone. We just know that we all are. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> or but we believe that we are alone in this. And crisis uh, should drive us as believers in Christ, I believe, to our knees and really seeking the face of the Lord. There are no sports to watch on TV if you're a sports addict. So what do we do now in light of this uh, crisis? Kind of reminds me of 9-11. Hmm. The day 9-11 happened, I was standing there next to my secretary. I was an assistant principal at a school, and I looked at her, and I told her, I said, you know, the world will never be the same. And I think after the last couple of weeks, we could say the same thing. But in light of that, what do we do? Yeah. How do we see what's happening through whose eyes? Through our eyes? Through the eyes of the media? Yeah through the eyes of Christ. It's a time, I believe, when we should really seek the Lord, maybe as we've never sought the Lord before. We're talking broad strokes here about yeah. seeking the Lord. We'll talk about particular things as we go along. I would like to digress for a second about the parallels between now and 9-11. I felt the same way, that there are some parallels. At the time that it happened in, in 2001, I remember walking my five-year-old daughter down the driveway and just asked her, what do you see in the sky? And we looked around, and of course, it was much quieter, and I was aware of the fact that air traffic was just stopped. No planes would be in the air. We talked about the things we could see, the things we can't see. And I said, do you see any jet trails today in the sky? Because you would always notice them. And she hadn't seen any. I said, why do you think that is? And so I let her talk through what she had perceived of the news at her age. And I said, right now, there's a, a quiet time in the sky where you will not see a jet flying, and it'll be like that for a number of days. It will go back to normal, I told her, because I assumed it would eventually. But for right now, you're seeing something that will probably never happen again in your lifetime, that the skies would be empty. As we talked about what it means to have something, an experience, or a place that you're in that nobody else in history will ever experience but you and the people around you right now. I see a parallel in that right now with the coronavirus, that we're experiencing this. And yet, I think back to that time thinking, things will go back to normal in many ways. But the things don't necessarily go back to normal in our hearts after we've perceived a trauma or assume that we have been traumatized by events. What do you see as similarities between now and 9-11 that many people listening to this program will, in fact, have experienced in their lifetime? And what do you think is different about it? Well, the similarity is our fear-based thinking. Fear is a strange animal. Hmm. And I work with a lot of people who are very fearful. You know, I think it's interesting in Scripture that 365 times the Lord tells us, do not fear. He also goes on to say, for I am with you. Mm -hmm. But we have a tendency to be fearful of the things that we can't see, understand. Mm -hmm. And this virus we can't see, and 
most people evidently don't understand it, but we have this innate desire to choose fear as our God, as opposed Actually, to Actually, choosing God. fear and not just fearing. Yeah, I think we choose fear. Uh, our negative emotions are a choice that we make. Now, that almost sounds like victim blaming. So explain <laughs> me what you mean by choosing fear. Well, you see, I can choose to love. I can choose to hate. My negative emotions are mine, and I can choose to engage them. I engage them because of what I believe. I am belief and choice. I believe something, therefore I do something. Yeah. Is this back to the whole Descartes, I think, therefore I am? Is it a philosophical statement about what it means to be a being? Yeah, I think you're correct there. You know, some people would disagree that believing is something that happens to me, Hmm. where I choose to believe that uh, I need to social distance, for an example. Why do I believe that? Because I believe it's a prudent thing to do. I believe it's maybe a helpful thing to do for other people, for my family, for my grandkids. But I choose to fear. You seem to be putting fear itself into the category of actions rather than even emotions. That when we choose to do something, we create an action and we decide to follow through and imagine the action happening and then actually do the action and imagine the consequences of that. Mm-hmm. You're saying that fear is kind of in that camp, that we actually choose to do these things. Whether we feel like we are choosing or not, mm-hmm. we are still making a choice to act in a certain way or follow a certain path. Yes, and we do that based upon life experiences. See if I can give you an example. I had a friend one time, a dear friend, a great friend, change my life type friend. Mm. And this friend, who, as I was growing up, was my youth director, uh, eventually committed suicide. And I got to the point where I wasn't too sure if I wanted any more of those friends. Yeah, The pain that went along with the loss and the grief was pretty devastating to me. And then 20 years later, I decided maybe it's okay to have a friend. This friend, after a few years, decided to stick a knife in my back and turn it. And Metaphorically, uh, I hope. Metaphorically. <laughs> and it felt uh, very painful. Yeah. And then after that, I went, well, you know, I don't think I really want any close, intimate friends. So I pushed myself at arm's distance. Your social distancing. That's correct. Yeah. And so at that social distance, I could allow you to get this close, holding my hand up towards you, but you're not getting any closer because I don't want to feel the pain. And the emotional distance is probably even greater than your demonstration. How Mm -hmm. old were you at this point in your life when you realized you were doing this? Probably in my 40s. Wow. Mm-hmm. So you're getting ready to hit the wall with what we would call a midlife crisis. Who am I? Why am I here? Mm-hmm. What am I called to be? At the same time, having a load of hurts and wounds. So a lot of people in life experience that. Mm-hmm. But my decision making after that was based upon my interpretation of the events which had happened to me. Mm. So I kept my uh, distance when I work with clients and I've worked with hundreds of men over the last 20 years. I typically don't become friends with them. And maybe that's a healthy thing for my client as well as myself, but it's based upon, I believe, the pain that I've experienced in allowing people to get close to me. There has been plenty of good counsel from Christian sources over the years about keeping appropriate fences. I mean, not letting everyone else's sin or brokenness spill into your life constantly. Mm -hmm. The kind of boundaries that are appropriate. So I don't want to be talking about this in terms of erasing or giving the impression that we're not saying that boundaries are appropriate. They are, Mm -hmm. especially when others are truly wounded and are not acting in our best interest or in their own. So there is obviously discernment here to be pursued and found. And I'm glad that the Word of God promises us that can be found. Yes. 
But what you're talking about here is a willful choice that is detrimental in that not dealing with the wounds of those who had wounded you in the past is affecting your ability to make a rational or right decision about who to be close to in a time in your life when you desperately needed to be close to others in order to make the breakthroughs and go on to the stage of life that God had for you next. Well, it's an issue of trust. I didn't want to ruthlessly trust anybody anymore. Mm. I believe that same thing can happen in our prayer life, our relationship with the Lord. Maybe he's failed me or I didn't hear him correctly or hear him at all. Yeah. So therefore, how can I trust God here? Well, is he trustworthy? Well, yes, my head tells me yes. But my heart says, "Uh, I'm not too sure about that. I imagine a lot of people without really thinking about it are thinking in the background on that sub-cycle of their brainwaves, that if the situation I'm in is out of control, I can't control it. I can't control how others seem to be hurting me. I've heard that God is in control. Therefore, if God is in control, he must be responsible for the suffering in my life. (laughs) You see that a lot in your counseling. Yes, we see it every day. You know, working with a pastor who's gone through a second divorce, and uh, he blames God for the two divorces. And he says, I know I heard from God that I was supposed to marry these two ladies. But why am I going through divorce and losing my ministry uh, right now? I don't know if I can trust him. You see, we don't trust God because we don't really know his character. And once we know his character and experience that intimate relationship with our arms down, and where it's not a dismissive attachment style to God, then we can really learn to, as Brennan Manning would say, ruthlessly trust him. Today, I'm reminded of an interesting detail I learned years ago about the Chinese language symbol for the word crisis. It's a contraction of two symbols that stand for danger and opportunity. I find that fascinating. Folded into one word are deep implications for the situation that we find ourselves in today. As people of faith, we can and should seize the opportunity to trust God and to make Jesus known. True compassion has real power when it's rooted in the truth of God's presence and promises. You know, for 78 years now, Compassion Radio partners like you have absolutely been up to the challenge. When you think about it, the world is really still in shock even after two years of the COVID pandemic. We're focused right now on the current crisis in and around Ukraine. I saw a refugee and servant alike shiver in a vicious blizzard that struck the first week of March. They were very much alike in one important way. They were absolutely determined to survive this ordeal and to redeem what their lives have become. We need to follow their example. Will you help us today? We have blankets and food to buy, tanks to fill with gas, and medicine to help them survive the days ahead. This need is not going away anytime soon. Please give generously, even sacrificially, right away. I know that God will be pleased if we do. So call us today at one 800 868 2478. Mail us at P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. Text the word COMPASSION to 53445 or give online at CompassionRadio.com. Bless you, friends, for your brave and activist faith. We can really learn to, as Brennan Manning would say, ruthlessly trust him. Yeah. 
That, that's difficult to do in crisis. But if we don't do it every day in the simple and the ordinary, then we're probably not going to do it when we face a crisis or okay. pandemic. But that also lends us to a conclusion that could be false as well, that there's no point in trying it. And there is. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to leave the impression that simply because we can't roll back the clock and start over with our mm -hmm. habit building, that we have nothing to do here that could be positive. There are things to do, and we'll get to those in a minute. But I want to jump out of the personal theory here and talk about how the world is making choices right now in the crisis that we face. In what ways is the world at large making poor choices right now in the pandemic that we're facing? I believe we're making choices out of fear. It's what we were talking about a while ago. I don't believe we should make any choice out of fear. We should make it seeking the face of the Lord. Every day, over and over, almost hourly, I ask my Lord, what do you want me to know? What do you want me to do? And so in the simple and the ordinary, in the little things in life, I'm seeking the face of the Lord. I had a client one time ask me, do you pray about everything, Dan? And I went, well, no, not about everything. And I asked her, I said, what do you pray about? She said, well, every morning I get up and ask the Lord what I should eat for breakfast. Well, I'd never heard that one before. I have. <laughs> and, so, and so I said, well, what do you eat? And she says, well, if the Lord says oatmeal, I eat oatmeal. And I went, okay. I said, well, what if the Lord doesn't tell you anything? She says, I have a sticky bun. You know, we, we seek the face of the Lord in the little things of life. I think that's the key. That's prayer. What do you want me to know? What do you want me to be? What do you want me to do? And in everything, and the more we can do that in the simple and the ordinary things of life, I believe when the crisis comes, the pandemic comes, then the trust factor can be there and I can go, okay, Lord, what do you want me to know about this virus? What and that is a question I think that can be asked even without previous history or experience. But for those who do know the Lord that you know are mature in their faith, what are they doing or choosing now that you would see as being very good in a crisis? How are people that are mature in their faith responding to what's happening around them right now? I believe it's a time where those who really have a deep, intimate relationship with the Lord are going to their knees. Do you mean that literally? Or yes, I mean it literally and metaphorically as well. But I believe it's a time for the church to take advantage, if you will, of this crisis where the doors of the churches are, in many cases, closed. And we do go to our knees and we pray. We ask God what He wants us to know about where we are today in the midst of the storm. Because he's in the midst of the storm with us. Okay, let's assume that God actually answers that prayer and an idea comes to mind that we hadn't thought of before. And we say, wow, that must be God invading my thoughts. Mm -hmm. What do you do with what you hear? Hmm. Well, it's an old hymn that comes to mind. It says, trust and obey, for there is no other way. Is that to say that every answer we get from God is going to have an action attached to it? Hmm. That's a good question. I think unless there is an action taken on our part, I'm not too sure that piece of prayer really moves deep within us. Like this morning at four in the quiet morning watch while I'm praying and going, Lord, what in the world do you want me to say to Bram this morning? And, <laughs> and I'm going, I don't have a clue what you want me to say. And hmm. what does the Lord say? Trust me. I'll give you the words. Yeah. I said, okay. And hopefully he'll give me the questions, too. You know, it, it's sort of like this. It was really interesting how the Lord said this morning, Dan, I've got this. Huh, okay. So do I have to fear, fret, worry, have anxiety about sitting here in front of you and looking at a microphone? No. Why? <laughs> because he's, he's given me the confidence to say and the strength to say, it's okay. 
I got this. Prayer is one of these things that we need to do moment by moment, day by day. I think of Brother Lawrence, the monk of pots and pans, Hmm. as he played the game of minutes and sought the face of the Lord and what he wanted him to know, do, be. I think of Frank Laubach, who codified the language of the Filipino people and his work in China Hmm. and his book called Games of Minutes and how he was constantly trying to be in the presence of the Lord with his mind, with his emotions, with his body, and just seeking his presence. That's not an easy thing to do. And I think it's a discipline. It's sort of like music. It's a discipline. And the church is a very undisciplined organism today. It seems to me that it's a consumerist culture, that we go there to consume something rather than to participate in and to serve together in something. Yeah, it's a spectator sport is what I see. After coaching for 20 years, I can really relate to that. And I'm not saying it as an indictment. I'm just observing that. So as we develop our relationships and dig deeper with people, we have to be intentional about caring about them because we know that God cares about them. At least we know in our heads. Mm-hmm. And my job in a church body is not to just know things about things, but to know things the way God knows them. Mm-hmm. And if he really knows us, he knows us. And he wants me to know people like he knows people, which means sacrifice and service and love and perseverance. And there's really no point for me at this point in my life to say, why would I even be in a congregation? It's full of a lot of people that have a lot of problems that keep manifesting yeah, themselves. That's true. And it drags on me at times. And I'm, I'm drawn into things that are deeper than I want to go at any given moment. And yet God says, I have something for you here that you won't get anywhere else. Get in there and love people the way I do and listen to me when I say love this way, because it doesn't always make sense to me. No. But there's one true thing about the church of Jesus Christ. Sheep stink. <laughs> I mean, it's true. Depending how many times you wash them. Uh, I mean... If you know anything about sheep or have raised sheep to been around sheep, they, they don't smell real good. Yeah. The body of Christ is the same way. The things that I've heard in this office from what's happened to people with emotional abuse, physical abuse, sexual abuse, spiritual abuse would make your head swim. Mm. And in the church, there's been way too much what I would call spiritual abuse. Performance-based spirituality is a, an example of that. Yeah. I can remember growing up in this uh, Baptist church in South Louisiana where every Sunday in uh, Sunday school or RAs, they had a checklist. Did you pray this week? Ching, ching. Mm-hmm. Did you give money to the church or tithe this week? Ching, ching. Yeah. How many gold stars or crosses are in your Bible? Correct. Yeah. And we have this uh, concept of spirituality that has nothing to do with God. Yeah. It has nothing to do with true spirituality, as uh, Francis Schaeffer might say. We don't find true truth in spiritual abuse. It pushes us away from God. But I believe he really wants us to seek him concerning prayer. In Luke 11, 1, it said it happened that while Jesus was praying in a certain place, mm. after he had finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John also taught his disciples to pray. That's a strange passage. Mm-hmm. Why didn't they say, Lord, teach us to pray as you pray to the Father? Because they saw him every day praying. I mean, these are not new converts. They've been around Jesus for a while in this passage. And we have to say the same thing today. Teach us to pray. There are many different types of prayer. Let me put myself in the scene there. Is that the disciple for you? Good. I would assume that it's probably coming from one of the disciples that knew John. And one of the things I think that John probably taught and made a point of teaching was praying. So he brought people back into the knowledge of what prayer even means. And so it was something that was given to them. What I read in this, Dan, is that maybe Jesus hadn't taught them how to pray. 
he just prayed a lot. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they felt, wait a minute, you know, he does this a lot, but he's never really talked about it. Maybe it's time to ask. Mm-hmm. And like your question earlier, Lord, what do you want me to know about this? This question seems to be of that same whoop and war fear. This is a question about the how to and how to embed yourself into this thing that you do, Lord. It also indicates to me that Jesus himself was praying in such a way or came out of it that it really was visible to his disciples that something was going on or transforming or empowering Jesus when he did it. That it's like, I want that. That's my impression. I think they saw that when Jesus prayed, things changed. Mm. In Jesus. Or in the world and the world around him. Back to our question a while ago, is there some action that follows the prayer really? Yeah. To pray is to change. Mm. Okay, so the question's been asked. Take me on further in the scripture now. I really go to a different scripture where it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God. It's seek ye really the Lord here. Take a look at the Psalms where it says, Be still and know that I am God. Well, we're never still in our culture. The the busyness, muchness, and manyness of our world keep us from hearing the divine whisper because there's too much noise. Jesus went to a certain place. I believe we have certain places that uh, we go to. I go to my back porch. Mm -hmm. I go fly fishing in, in the streams of Colorado. Now, do I have to go to those places just to pray? No. I think Jesus had a couple of places that he went He went to Gethsemane, to the garden. Well, my Gethsemane is my backyard. You see, Jesus had a favorite place, I believe. Our thanks to Dan Giroy from Mount Horeb House Ministries here in Texas. We'll find out what that special place was from Dan Giroy in part two of this conversation. Thanks for supporting us with your gift. Simply go to our website, CompassionRadio.com. Our toll-free number is 1-800-868-2478. You can also send your gift by mail to Compassion Radio, P.O. Box 2770, Orange, California, 92859. God bless you, friends. Join us for the next Compassion Radio or online at CompassionRadio.com.